Welcome to the Gods of Tomorrow podcast, where we discuss religious deconstruction, secular humanism, political activism, and epistemology. Together, we explore how to solve human problems with human solutions. We deconstruct, we activate, and then most importantly, we live our fucking lives. I am your host, Josh Ra, and you are the gods of tomorrow. All right, all right, all right. Let's uh, let's do this shit. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode twelve of Gods of Tomorrow. I'm Josh Ra. You can call me Josh. And we are back. It has been a hell of a week. I got to take a little bit of a vacation, get up into the mountains, watch the full moon rise up, uh, which was a wonderful, magical experience. It was exciting to do. But probably the most exciting thing that happened while I was on vacation is we busted through that thousand mark on YouTube for subscribers. So thank you all so much for growing that channel so much. In addition to that, we came up with a great creed for the raw cult. From now on, we'll have to end all these episodes by saying and do what the fuck you will. I really like it. It kind of actually follows through a theme that my family had that came out of our Irish heritage that was, if I want to, I will. I am gonna make t-shirts today and put it up on my store that says, and do the fuck what you will. And I hope you guys grab those and start wearing them around. But more exciting than anything is that we have a guest again today on Gods of Tomorrow. It is a old friend that I met at the Atheist Convention down in Georgia, where we probably barely escaped with our lives, but Good to have you here, Ryan. You have a wonderful story and a lot of knowledge, and so I'm I'm excited to dive into this. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I really enjoyed meeting you and your wife. It was probably one of the high points, I would say, coming away with some some good friends. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and you're starting a cult. I'm getting kind of jealous here. I started my cult, and I'm not too far ahead of you. So I, I guess I got to start looking at numbers here. Your, your cult's doing better than mine. We might just have to combine <laughs> them at some point. No, my wife and uh, I. Okay. <laughs> my wife and I, I continuously like say that meeting you and your husband was a joy too. We were just actually talking this last week about how we need to get Ryan and her husband and just go on a trip over to Europe at some point without any kids oh and just God. like walk through the hills, be glorious. Ooh see some old sites i love that like hiking mm-hmm. seeing like old stone markers and things about oh that's my that's my jam i'm down let's do it it is mine too i told the wife if we could just get rid of the kids and just go around and see like old sites all around the world with a couple of good friends that would be the dream wouldn't that be amazing yeah that would be living the dream i've always wanted to travel and just i love like the history and the archaeological i would love to Dig up some shit, too. Okay, nothing nothing illegal. No grave robbing, okay? But I'm just saying, like, approved. But I think that would be quite fascinating. Something I do intend to do. 
in my life. Mm-hmm. Just go start digging shit up. Yeah, yeah just just in my backyard. Just mm-hmm. oh, there's Ryan <laughs> digging in the dirt again. Is no. she burying stuff or is she digging stuff up? We don't know. Yeah, I switched my uh, degree for a while while I was in college to anthropology because I wanted to go into anthropology and archaeology and do that for work. And then I realized I have kids and it's just not feasible. And so yeah. ended up having to shift gears and go in a different direction. But it would have been a wonderful life. Um, I probably could have done it and dragged kids around, but they would not have enjoyed it. That would be rough. It's really tough on kids to relocate them like that. It's I've been through it. Not fun. We we maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, but I've been through that and not. I mean, you know, it it happens. You have to do what you have to do to maintain a family, but it does make it a little more difficult on on them. But again, you got to you got to survive. The world is tough out there. You got to survive right now. So (laughs) I don't blame people for getting by. Yeah, you know? our world is looking crazier and crazier by the moment, especially here oh, in the West. terrifying. Yeah, and I feel like you're tapped into some sources that maybe not everyone is familiar with, because you get you get some news that I see on your YouTube channel sometimes on Cultastic that just like yeah. share some heavy religious news that like I'm not aware of. I'm not in those circles to really know the information that's coming through to you. Yeah, I'm trying to stay. I'm trying to keep my my foot in it. I want to make sure that I got like my ears peeled because I just feel like it's all connected. I mean, I don't know how. I just know that money, power, church, it all goes hand in hand. So education is probably one of the best things that we have right now. So that's why it's important to me to just, you know, I gotta, I gotta deconstruct this shit so I can help other people who are starting to, because people are waking up out of this fog and realizing like, oh, f- oh, we are fucked. Like something mm-hmm. is not right here. And I just want to be like, I just want to be helping people out. Like, come on, we got this. Like, come on, keep it coming. You know, so, something's got to happen. So I, I just want to be that person if I can to lend a hand. Well, let's take a step into that journey that you've taken. You've spent almost 40 years as a Jehovah Witness before you deconstructed from that. Can you kind of show us the beginning of that journey? How did you get into being a Jehovah Witness and what did your breaking away look like? So as far as like the deconstruction, deconstructing part, that really has been recent. That just truly started about two years ago, right before the pandemic. So I guess over two years, my gosh, I'm like these past couple of years, like they're just like time has been like weirded out, but that kind of happened because of something that my daughter had said to me that kind of propelled me into deconstructing. But before that, just a few years before I'd gotten married to my husband, I had been attending the meetings. So I was by, I was, you know, studying the Bible. I was single and feeling like, you know, something's wrong with me. Like, I, like, obviously I was making a lot of bad choices and I thought, okay, well, if, maybe if I just really put my heart into it, maybe something really is just wrong with me. But if I try as an adult, like really give it a good, good try, maybe something will work. And I did that. I was reading the Bible. I was doing... And the thing is, is I was reading myself right back out of religion again. Like I was sitting there listening to this gibberish, quite frankly, as an adult now going, okay, that's not what that, okay, that's in the context of it. That doesn't say that, you know, if you read before and after that's, that is not at all what that example was. Like you've completely changed the outline here, but that you know that's on the deconstructing part and what kind of 
made that happen. But what had gotten me, ugh, long story, got me into the religion was my parents. Um, my mother was, uh, her parents had gotten into the religion later as adults. And my mom had a very bad upbringing. My grandfather was very abusive. Uh, God rest his soul. You know, I still love him, but you know, you got to deal with these things. You got to talk about these things because things got to change. You know, mm -hmm. I got to change. We all got to change. But, um, so my mom left the house very young. She left at 14, got married and had me at 15. So, you know, things weren't great between my mom and my dad either. He was abusive too. Um, so that's, you know, you, you kind of keep these cycles going when you don't break them. And at some point, years later, my parents decide to, oh, let's give this a go. It kind of changed my grandfather's life. So, you know, he, he stopped doing, took a long time, but he stopped doing the things that he was, the, the abuse and stuff. So my parents were like, okay, well, maybe this will be the cure for my father too. Mm -hmm. So even though I wasn't really a Jehovah's Witness per se growing up, I didn't celebrate anything. We didn't do, like, we really didn't do all that stuff. And I didn't understand quite why it wasn't really, it was kind of confusing, but it's neither here nor there. I'm, who gives a shit about presents, okay? It sucks, but whatever. Um, but at some point, you know, my parents try to straighten up their life. I'm somewhere around, I guess it's maybe between eight and 10, mm -hmm. things start to change. And in some ways, it, it is a, in a positive. So, you know, as a young child, okay, I'm seeing some change. Finally, it's taken years, you know, and then finally from 10 to 12, there's like another marker where I'd say like the abuse like completely stops um, in, in the family. So there is change. And then there's all this uh, love bombing that happens when you come in to the Jehovah's Witness organization. So as a kid, you're just seeing all these, like what seem to be fun things and you're getting attention you never had before. So it just seems like everything's cool. And so, it probably wasn't. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to recap. So your grandfather had been in it. He had an anecdotal story of having some change based on that experience. Your parents mm -hmm. were like, if it's working for him, we're going to try this for our own life. So they get involved in the church, mainly just as like a social thing, more than just being like hardcore deep diving into the religion, mm -hmm. but more of like a intermittent social type of interaction with the church. And it took a long time, but then they had their own anecdotal experience that felt like things were getting better as well. So they continued doing it. And then right. you started seeing these changes coming into adolescence as well. So you kind of already had this, that's what I'm looking for, like this base of religion as being this intermittent thing you were engaging with. And as yeah. you came to adolescence, you then started seeing like this connection and this familiarity and this bonding that was taking place. And I'm not familiar with the term love bonding. Is it something specific to bombing. Jehovah? Oh, bombing, bombing. Yeah. Okay. So what exactly is love bombing? Is this something specific to a tactic that is used or is it yes. just, okay. Tell it us is, more. it is a cult task. It is a cultastic tactic that cults use. And when you first are um, brought into the, the cult, basically they just everybody wants to know who you are they want to get you involved they want to invite you to things they want to um, encourage you to come to stuff i mean it's just a lot of people 
putting a lot of tension on you. And when you don't have that, most people probably don't have that. That's probably why you're looking for something because something is lacking in your life that fills a huge void. And it feels really good to have people who care about you. But when all that fades, because that does fade eventually, like at some point, you're now expected to be exactly who you signed up to be. Mm. And there's no faltering from that. And that I think is when I started to like at about that age 12 is when I started to see like, okay, wait a minute, like things aren't exactly as, as I thought they were going to be like, okay, nobody's getting their head bashed in around here, but like, you know, the, there's still that misogynistic, like verbal stuff that you get inside the families, inside the church. So that hadn't changed. And it makes you feel really icky as a kid because, you know, you that's the times like you're questioning your existence. Like you're just really coming into being like a, a full-fledged thinking, feeling human being with a lot of hormones going on. And you're getting a lot of negative, a lot of negative verbiage from parents and, again, from inside the church. Can you give us an example of what some of that looks like? I mean, it sounds like they're giving a lot of order and direction and sense of community for a while. And then you're reaching an mm -hmm. age of maturity coming into womanhood for yes. lack of a better word. And this is mm -hmm. at this point you start seeing some of this patriarchal controlling type of yeah. engagement. So can you give us some examples of what that looked like or things that you heard? Well, you're expected. So if you let's, let's say for instance, to be a Jehovah's witness, you have standards that you have to like to be in good standing, let's say, because good standing is different than somebody who's not in good standing. So a good standing person is somebody who you'd want to associate, who you want to go out and service with, who, who you, you know, this is just something that somebody who's in your, who you want to keep in your circle um, because those other people could pull you astray. So some of the standards that you have to keep are you have to make every meeting. You have to be reporting time. The list goes on. But if you at some points are ill if you you need more hours because you can't pay your bills like there's reasons wh why you're not meeting these standards now all these people who are just like oh it's okay you can do this and we love you and things are going to be great and look how much jehovah loves you and look how much we love you and doesn't this feel good and then it's like okay well we know you need money but jehovah will provide you should be here you have responsibility what examples are you setting for your family by missing a meet like everything flips and instead of being this loving situation it's now this it's really this powder keg of responsibility of keeping up the the charade of of being happy like you can't let people know you're not happy they, they might pretend you can but it's always going to lead back to a scripture and if that scripture doesn't heal like what's wrong with you and they don't really now they're a little bit better. I think they do kind of tell people you can seek therapy, but these therapists are only going to be approved therapists. So you're mostly just your therapies by men who don't have any training, no training whatsoever. They're just men of age who have kept these standards that I've given you, who now have privileges. And that is the only reason they have privileges. And these privileges are the ones that only men can have. I would never be able to have them myself. I'm not worthy 
somehow <laughs> as a female I'm not worthy and uh it's yeah and that misogyny just trickles down if there's only men at the top the representation is only males it's gonna it's gonna fall on them kids so a large piece that's being that. a large piece that's being pushed onto the youth especially adolescents coming in and, and women is that you have to put on a mask you have to meet these certain expectations you yes. need to be in constant service to our cause and to our creed and if you are falling behind at any point you need to go seek out the guidance of one of the elders yep. or, or one of the men ba basically that is it like if you anytime like i had because i asked a lot of questions like if you know me i ask a lot of questions and hey that's how i learned sorry you don't like it eh, go away but i would ask questions and then if like my parents couldn't voice brother so-and-so and i think that in a way unfortunately that put a mark on my head because I'm very curious and that's really not a good thing you don't want to because at some point that's questioning authority like if you're just not taking what is laid out before you in whatever their publications say then you're deviating from the plan and I think you're seen as 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 really again like Mark you're you're bad you're possibly bad association and I I see that now but as a kid I didn't realize like that was what I was doing but it, again like you said it, I I very much felt like I had to put on a mask mm -hmm. and pretend like like I never talked to anybody like this is the most I've ever talked about really like what I went through as a kid now as an adult because I just never talked about it because it's not this like okay so we'll say okay so so and so and so and so like this family you know that there was drugs and there was abuse and blah 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 but now look like now they're happy and yeah and they've got uh, you know steady lifestyle and they're not on drugs and everything's good and now you're just supposed to be that like we're the representation like huh? Or the jolly good family that everybody points to like look at that example see what like jehovah can do for you but meanwhile i never got to talk about what had happened i never got to get my feelings out about it it was all just stuffed inside just wearing that mask and and it, and it was about 16 where that like i was just i was hitting a wall i was really kind of done honestly like i i didn't even know that i was having like those bad ideations because I didn't know what they were. I just always knew that I just didn't kind of want to be here because what's the point when everybody's always telling you, you know, everything you think is bad and every, oh God, you had a thought like, oh, that's almost just like doing it, you know, poke out your eyes so that way you don't sin. Like all of that kind of stuff sticks in your head as a kid and you've already been through trauma and you don't have any way to get it out. You're not allowed to go into any kind of sports at school there's no extracurricular activities so especially probably somebody i think i have like adhd or some you know i it's hard for me to stay still not giving me somewhere to get that energy out was really bad for me so this whole one religion like it's like a one size fits all religion and it doesn't fit all but you gotta fit in there You've just got to make it fit. You've got to make it work. And I just, I couldn't, I was tired. I didn't want to make it work anymore. It didn't work. Obviously I'm still here, but you know, if, if there's, if, 
if I look at myself and think, God, there's other kids who feel this way. There cannot be other kids who aren't saying like, I don't want to, I don't want to live like this. I don't, oh my God, I'm a horrible person because I have these thoughts. Like, no, honey, that's having a brain. Mm -hmm. It's the self-control is what makes us like human, brah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You have thoughts. That's being human. It's being able to control and, and like say, okay, I would never do something like that. You know, you, you can't, people didn't understand their brains back then. And we're trying to keep this modern life in this archaic brain and it doesn't work. Sorry. I, I don't know if that made sense, but it, it does I, to me. I, I know I can see your body language and maybe not everyone can see that, <laughs> but it, it does make sense to me. Um, I, I think the piece that I'm curious about is that I have seen, of course, that you've seen yourself as being in the Jehovah witness mindset for a really long time, even if you weren't necessarily in the church and being active yep. because that code was already written in your mind about how to think and how to behave and how to act in the world around you, even if you weren't regularly going to church. And so yep. from adolescence, it sounds like you already knew you needed something more. You're already breaking away from maybe feeling as embedded within the faith that had been given to you um, through your familial history. So then going into like young adulthood and into your 30s, did you feel like you know, I'm still a Jehovah witness or did you just start searching at that point for something else? Or did you just like put it on the back burner and go, I can't touch this. Like it is what it is. I'm going to have to entertain myself by another means. So I, because of like marriage uh, things like of that nature that happened, I did have a period where I did break away from like going to the kingdom hall regularly. And that was, that was good in a way because it, it helped my brain in many different ways. The situation uh, sucked in a lot of ways, good things, but bad things. Um, but what the issue is, what happened was, is I would go back to the kingdom hall. And a lot of that was because of the situation I was in and I'd have to go back to my parents. So every time I'd get this break and I'd kind of think like, hmm, that, like this does, this stuff doesn't seem right, but you know, you're not allowed to do any research because that's being an apostate. Um, so I didn't really do research, but I, I had read one book that I eventually threw away because then I felt guilty Ick for it. Yeah, you're it. icky because you read that darn apostate yes. book. Uh, and it was such a good book and I'm so freaking mad now that I threw it away. But anyway, it, you know, I got some like witchcraft book and I was really starting to read into that and wanted to get to know more. But again, you know, left the ex went to my parents, had to start going back to meetings because if you live there that you have to go to meetings and then I'd feel guilty and I'd throw all that stuff away. And it was like rinse, repeat. And these cycles would happen. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't until I, I was asked a question by my daughter that that mindset, I was able to break through that ceiling. I finally broke through because, because my daughter gave me permission. Mm -hmm. If that isn't, if, if that isn't some shit, my parents, all the adults around me, like none of the people I ever talked to ever gave me permission to, to question what we were being taught. And here's my kid who's just like, Hey mom, uh, I just watched a TV show with my boyfriend and they said that the Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult. And I think they're a cult. And I was like, they're a cult. And I, and my head exploded for, for probably a good solid like month. Like it was just a call. It's a call. It's a, and then it, it was starting to click. It was really starting to click 
because I had lived all those years, even though I, I wasn't maybe going to the kingdom. I was a Jehovah's Witness. It, it, I was a Jehovah's Witness because I still, I still was thinking I was a bad person. I was doing all these sins. I was feeling guilty. It, I was everything I was not supposed to be. And I knew it. And I saw the world as through that Jehovah's Witness lens. And it's really different. It's really different. And it's not a good way to see the world. Let me tell you, rose colored glasses, and they aren't, they aren't even rose colored glasses. But that's when I finally was able to see that this is a mindset. This isn't just like something that you just say, oh, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness anymore. It's just that simple. You've really got to do the work. People need to, I know that that might sound scary and difficult, but you have to do the work or you might just go back to, you'll find another cult. You'll find another something else that's toxic. You've got to remove the toxicity and be able to see what's truth and what's what's just downright lies on purpose. I feel like most of it's on purpose, but. And for me, Ryan, that realization that you have and share is the strongest piece of your testimony. And I think it's what a lot of individuals can relate with that have broken away from any type of organized religion, whether it's Jehovah Witnesses or something else, because you leave that one specific sect and you immediately go and start looking for another one. Oh, if I can't be a Jehovah's Witness, yes. maybe I'll be a Mormon, or maybe I'll be a Methodist or a Baptist, Ooh, or okay, I'm gonna leave Christianity, I'm gonna go convert to Islam. Like, it's just a constant moving, 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 and shifting gears into the next one, because you're trying yeah. to find something familiar to you that has been ingrained into your brain as a young child of this is yep. the only way, this has to be a truth. Maybe it's not that version of the truth, it's a slight variation of that version. And I see so many adults that are our age that now struggle with this because yes. they are constantly looking for that right version of what they're being told. They can't <laughs> trust this one, but maybe the, the next door happen. over will tell them what they need. And I think that's where the faith needs to come in. Like if you want to have some kind of belief, have it, you know, just know the truth about it. Okay. Jesus might not have been a real dude, but if you think there's some cool shit in, the, in there that he said that, you know, brings your heart joy. I don't see a problem with it, but you got to understand that the rest of us see it for what it is and you can't force us to believe it and stand by it. Sorry. That's where you just got to keep the faith to yourself and I'm okay with you. I will stand by you. I will, I will even actually help you like you women who want to stay in this stuff. I will help you get your goddamn place back because I'm going to help show you where the women were very powerful in that book, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm for it, but you got to leave me out of it. Mm -hmm. Like leave my uterus and everybody else's bodies out of it. Sorry. That's where I draw the line. Well, and that's a message that I think you and I both share. I've heard both of us talk about this on our own channels of if you want your mm -hmm. faith and you want your religion, have it, I'll fight for you to have it, but it should not come into play with, my laws and my community and my children yep. leave that out. If you want to believe it, that's great. But really the purpose of what I'm doing here. And I think what you do on your channel too, is I just want to bring you some religious literacy. I just want to teach you about where it yeah. comes from yeah. and how it progressed or evolved into the state that it's in. And if you're okay with that and you still want to believe all of it, that's great. And I support you in that path. I just want you to know instead of whatever you were told by, as I watched one of your YouTube videos today, as, as you may have been told by a bunch of white guys in the third and fourth centuries. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I'm sorry, but that's really what, like, if you want to break it down, break it down. I just, I had another friend in a private conversation said something about um, Luke being Paul's physician. And I, and I was like, okay, where did you hear that? <laughs> the fuck he was. And they were like, they were like, wait, it's not true. And I said, well, let's look at the evidence. Not true. Like, you have to start separating what you've been told from what's really there. And, and first it's going to be, you have to just read it for yourself and, and see how there's been so many connections made that were never, they're just not there. Mm -hmm. And again, that's, that's okay. That's fine. But it's not enough to control people's bodies. That's just not going to be able to do it, but you've really got to start tearing this stuff apart and f figuring out when it was written who's the audience you know that mm -hmm. that's a big part of it there's so much to it but i think it's fun if it's not obvious i enjoy it <laughs> well before we jump into your academic pursuits that you've been doing and researching things and what you found in your deconstruction journey is there anything you just wish people knew about jehovah witnesses something about that cult as you put it or or branch or sect what is something you just wish people were aware of that they just have no idea about? Because I did read that in 2008, it was the fastest growing sect in Canada really? and the United States. And I have, I've also seen recently that they have marked Mormonism as being the fastest growing sect. But in 2008, it was marked as the fastest growing sect in Canada and the U.S. So I found that intriguing that they're recruiting people. Right. And yeah, these are, these are two religions who proselytize who absolutely do recruiting and you know when you said like what is something you'd want people to know here's what i want you to know lovely people get caught up in bad situations and the jehovah's witness organization is a doomsday cult and don't let their numbers fool you good people can be vulnerable and when you are doing proselytization like they do in waves, you're going to find vulnerable people who probably need some good therapy, but we don't have a good healthcare system. So this feels good for a while, but once you are inside, you realize that it is very conditional and it is based on standards that entitled Rich, yes, rich men who have made these systems to benefit themselves and nobody but. And you are not allowed to ask questions because, like I said, somebody like me who asks questions, you get seen and marked. And once you're marked, it's not a good place to be because getting out of it means you have to, you have to bend over backwards. And if the only way that you can keep people loving you is by upholding standards that are harmful and hurtful to you, it is not a safe place to be. And they allow conditions that harm children. They have hidden pedophiles because they believe that their standards are higher than the governmental standards and they don't trust they don't trust the government so everything is held in-house and it's only recently because people amazing people like mark o'donnell there's many people in the jw 
um, activism circuit who are raising the flags and letting people know that this cult is hiding pedophiles. Call Bethel, check out podcast out, please. Call Bethel. And you have no recourse because again, your only recourse is men who are not trained to handle these kind of situations mm. and they cannot and will not protect children. So when they come to your door, remember that you, in order to be one of them must do what they do. So you must see yourself at people's doors with that smile, knowing all that information that I just gave you and see if you can see if you can sleep at night. Yeah. See if you can stomach that. I appreciate that. Piece. I couldn't. It's interesting, Ryan, because when I think of you using that language of them being a doomsday cult, and I'm a firm believer in this, this is what I found in my own research, but Christianity, even the teachings of Jesus, was also an apocalyptic cult. It was a doomsday cult as well. It was built off of the Essenes, and it came also from John the Baptist, who was also part of the Essenes. And that is why it spread so quickly in that time was because it was an apocalyptic doomsday cult. And we see these other branches of this belief system using the same tactics to grow rapidly across yeah. the West. Yeah. Have you, did you hear about the Gabriel stone? I did. I do know about that. So Simon I mean, of Korea. Right. This is, I mean, so this is going back way before like these, like these people were out there. This this kind of idea has been like this is not new. This is just recycled. Sorry, not to be mean, but it you know like you said, it's borrowed stories. They really are. They're just borrowed stories, whispers down mm -hmm. the lane. It, whisper on the telephone, whatever that. <laughs> whisper on the telephone, <laughs> motherfuckers. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but, exactly. but but it's interesting. I, I, I need to really look into this a little bit more, but I do think there is something especially interesting about the human psyche and our concern about our own mortality and how these types of doomsday apocalyptic yeah. messages drive us into fanaticism um, mm -hmm. because we are so concerned about our mortality and end of life and unanswerable questions and the unknown. Yeah. Now, when people bring these answers to us in such a confident way, we fall victim That's to it. it and we just gobble it right up. And then we become just as fanatical as the people that share the message with us if we start drinking that Kool-Aid. And so I'm very wary now on the other side of the fence from anything that sounds apocalyptic or doomsday-like. Because I'm like, no, yeah. that this is something that if I allow it to pierce through this shield wall I got built in front of me, it's going to lead me back into a place of where I can't think for myself because I've been completely brainwashed by the individuals that fed me this shit. Right? Yeah. You, you, get, you do get brainwashed. And again, like I said, vulnerable people. People need love, man. People need attention. People need to know they're important. And when you give that to them, you pretty much almost feed them crap. And they're going to like, yeah, this crap's not too bad. I'll take it. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> I hate to say it, but it, it it's easy to to take the those who aren't, you know, people have good hearts, maybe. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody wants to do good. Everybody wants to see themselves better. And if somebody comes to your door and says, hey, 
not only is there a, a paradise on earth uh, coming for you, if you, if you listen to what we got to say, but you know, we're going to make you feel better because, because we can help heal you. That sounds freaking good. Mm-hmm. It does sound good on the surface, but it tastes like shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ryan, I, I don't want us to run out of time before we dive into the fun stuff. So okay. um, talk to us about your real journey into deconstruction, where you've been at in these last couple of years, and really just backpedaling through history and trying to find a source of some of these recycled stories and sometimes rebranded stories from yeah. the Bible that are now being covered up, hidden, and, and, and you know completely removed from Christianity in general. Right. Well, the, I think one of the biggest ones for me was Moses. What I, I forget how, I, I think it was because I heard of Sargon of Akkad. And I was like, okay, who's this? Because I think I was looking at um, maybe Anana at the time. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I was just doing a lot of like, a lot well, of stuff that wasn't clicking for yeah. me. We're, we're going to have to share some details with some of these things. Sargon of Akkad was a Sumerian <laughs> king. Um, and yes. Anana was a goddess <laughs> of old so, Sumerian and Mesopotamian mythology. Yeah. I just want to give readers who aren't familiar with these things yes. some, some of the... Go ahead. Yeah, so, so pretty badass people, basically. I mean, you know, badass goddess and, you know, a pretty kick-ass dude who... Um, who had this high priestess whose name was Enhedwana. And she's actually, from what I know, she's the first poet with her name signed. So we have like a poem with her name signed on it, the first in history. And it's like 3000 or something, some odd years old. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is some really cool ancient history. And you can see how it just kind of traveled across to, to Canaan, just, you know, some different names, different stories. But so I, I had to, come across Sargon of Akkad's story. And I was like, okay, let me read about it. And, you know, he's put in this basket and he's floated down a river. And I, the videos, like, if you want to find the video, the video is literally, because I I wanted people to see me breaking stuff down. I was like, you're going to come with me on this journey. I'm going to teach you what I know. And you're going to watch it as it happens. So I recorded this video and I'm reading all these things about Sargon of Akkad. And I'm like, that is freaking Moses' story. Yeah. It is this, you know, okay, obviously some of the names have been changed to protect the innocent, but, you know, but it's really just a repackaged story for a new group of people. Mm-hmm. And then you see it in other stories, and I can't even think, oh, like, obviously the, the flood story is probably one of the, the biggest ones. Yeah, with and I realized, yep, yep, I was like, and, yeah. but there's not just, there's not just one. Yeah. I mean, there's, hundreds and i only i've only been reading like maybe about a core four trying to you know really get them and break them down and a lot of it because it's similar language like tihom tiamat so tihom in in the hebrew bible uh when god first you know created the the earth or whatever the tihom was the chaos the watery dragon well tiamat is the primordial uh, the primordial, um, I think it's salt water yeah. that the earth, everything is made from after she's de- killed by Marta, the mm-hmm. great God. So it's again, these, these cool stories of, you know, thousands of years, well, maybe a thousand, two thousand years prior to the time they're, you know, written 
down in, in the Hebrew literature and, you know, just kind of reformed and repackaged again. Super cool. I get it. Why wouldn't you do it? I Everybody did it. Everybody's doing it. Why mm-hmm. wouldn't you? But it was blowing my mind that who, people who I thought existed, people who I was told hand wrote and wrote the first five books of the Bible didn't, didn't exist. exist. And I started to question my freaking existence, dude. I was like, like, wait a minute. If he doesn't exist, does Jesus exist? And then I started going down. And there was so many. It was really hard because I had so many questions. I couldn't, you know, I just got excited. And I'm like reading this. And then the next day I'm reading that. And none of it's connecting. It's finally starting to connect now. But I just had to know that answer at the moment. And now I have a, like, for a while, I think I was kind of angry about it. Like, what the, like, God damn it. Like, they, they damn lied to me. But now I have a greater respect for it because it's just what, a, it's what you would do. You know, if you want to tell your story, of course, you're not just going to say, yeah, hey, five people rolled in here. They had some babies and eventually they grew. You know, you're not going to say that. You're going to make some stories up. You're going to embellish. And this is how they did it. Yeah. And I think it's 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 cool in the historic sense of what they wanted to tell of their story. We just have to remember that it's one-sided and there's like 500 different sides to that, to those stories. Yeah. So, I, I know that I use language sometimes like borrowed and, you know, plagiarized and repackaged and language like that. But chances are that even prior to Sumerian, you know, civilization or Mesopotamian civilization or the Indus Valley, before we had cuneiform and could write out these stories, these same stories were probably shared in previous civilizations. And then we had the invention of writing and people started retelling them and repackaging them with their own stories. And then we had, of course, these over into Canaan, where we saw the Israelites emerge out of and needed to make a name for their own people and took these stories and repackaged them for their own people as well. I think it's something that's been repeated throughout history time and time again in order to give a sense of definition and ownership and, you know, individuality or some sort of piece for the stories. But we now see them being utilized pretty heavily to influence and control and claiming that all the rest of these stories don't exist or that this connection isn't real. Yes. And that's, that is one of the biggest things that pisses me off is when people say, well, they're not real. This one's real. Okay. Well, that just, no, that doesn't make sense. No. Or or, or they'll say all those other gods are demons. I'm like, okay, no, that's, that's quite bigoted. To, sorry to bring it down to you, but that is a very narrow-minded way of of thinking. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's more likely these are just stories that, you know, were just told as it gets changed a little bit here, there, whatnot. And then obviously there was a time when after the exile, everything was really kind of changed. But obviously there was there was a reason and a need these these stories as these people were growing and and thank god thank god they did we see some like like a lot of cool language and things that we would never have known had they not 
done it. I, mm-hmm. I'm thankful for it. I'm just sad that it's been commandeered by extremists mm-hmm. who, who want to poo poo everything else and see this very narrow, whitewashed view of a history. And that's not, it's really not fair. It's not fair to all those other gods and all those other stories and all those other people who lived it and believed it. And certainly for the, even the Israelites who also too lived it, believed it, who mm-hmm. believed these other gods, worshiped these other gods, respected these other gods. Don't just don't lie about it. Tell the truth about it. Wouldn't it be Your a- faith should take you further. Your faith should be able to cover all that, right? Wouldn't it just be a beautiful world if we could look back at all these things and recognize them as our shared stories of existence of humankind and not some sort of specialized yeah. tale that... <laughs> yes. See, that's why that's why it could be so beautiful. Like, oh, look, this is how they used to... Like, look how much better we are now. We don't sell our children. We don't assault children. We don't... Uh, invade people's territory and then you know tell bad things about that like wouldn't it be so nice if we could actually learn from them instead of saying no these are good stories these are good men lots of good man f you know he ain't he's sick that dude's a perv i don't care what you say i don't want any kind of religion that has anything to do with that dude no thank you that's what i don't get that makes zero sense to me so I, I know you mentioned a little bit, and I don't know what your um, knowledge is on this specifically, but you talked about the post-exilic period and how we really saw monotheism come out into Judaism specifically as this was kind of after the temple had fallen and um, this belief system in the one single God kind of permeated throughout the area. Yeah. Are there are there certain things that you found in the text? I'm thinking specifically of Asherah because I know that's kind of your bread and butter. But things that you saw that shifted between the two of those that you're just really trying to get the message out there about how some of these gods and goddesses were demonized and weren't carried over and how that emergence of monotheism in in the way that we think about it today. Because it's, I know I'm rambling a little bit, but the way that they thought about it pre-exilic is different than how we think about it now. Like we, we think of monotheism as one single god over everything. Back then it was like, there's all these gods, but we worship this one god. And that was a monotheistic group. But right. after that time period, there was a huge shift. The gods and goddesses were demonized. And then there was this recognition of a one single god. And all these other ones just kind of thrown under the bus. So what I would like to say is when you think back, just think back to who who is the first chosen people that Yahweh supposedly picks to be the king, right? He He's choosing uh, David. Uh, Solomon, these were the dudes who were responsible. If, if we believe you, Bible, these were the dudes that God handpicked to start spreading his seed, right? To start doing the do. And these men set up temples, temples with Yahweh, temples with Asherah, temples with images. And this is who God blessed them. Okay. These were the foundations of why, supposedly, why Asherah and all these other gods were were worshipped, because it was approved. I mean, they they would marry ladies from other countries, make some cashola, bring them on over, bring some priests with them, you know, bring all the money and power, 
build a temple. I mean, this is just what you did. So it's okay to build off of these people's backs. But then, you know, you want to write a story later on to say, oh, they were bad. Yeah, but they were bad. Okay, so God bless them here. But right here, they were bad. If that doesn't sound like some kind of redaction, that I'd, I don't know what would be. Because up until those moments, it's evident up until the exile that she was around. I mean, the archaeology shows it. I mean, even, even up until, I don't know, I believe third century, etc. there's still figurines and stuff. So it's not something that just went away. These, this whole monotheism, in my opinion, I don't even think that came around. I don't know, maybe Christianity, because I even think like after the exile, because if you think about it, I mean, I don't know, I'm just kind of riffing here, but if you think about mm -hmm. it, think about when Moses wrote the Ten Commandments, right? We always say like, okay, don't put other gods before me. So he admits there's other gods. So I believe that they thought there were other gods and I don't remember which, it could be like henotheistic or whatever. Yeah, it's henotheistic. Like you, yeah. Is that the one? Okay, yes. like my God's the right one. I know y'all exist, but F you, right? Yeah. And I believe that's how... I believe that's how they were. So they weren't monotheistic. So the Bible, the Hebrew Bible is not anywhere. There, it's just not monotheistic. And possibly, I guess maybe you could say the New Testament is, but how can, how can you say the New Testament is monotheistic when you got a man God and, and supposed a Hebrew God? Anyhow, I don't even know where I was going with no, that. No, I, I agree but with but you. But obviously I, there... Yeah. I, I use those sometimes because I hear people say, well, no, they're, they're a monotheistic, you know, culture in the sixth century. I personally believe it was henotheistic as well. I right. think there's probably a little bit of a shift um, from the more widespread henotheism into subsects that were like, nope, there's only Yahweh. He's now the creator of everything and all things. And I think there's some evidence of that. But I, I hear it so often where people are like, oh, it's monotheistic. I agree with you. I, I think it's more henotheistic. That's what we see. In archaeology, yeah. that's what we see in history, and that's what we see in the Bible. And I like that you point out that if you read through the Bible from chapter to chapter, not in the order that they're written, but in the or in the word, order that they're structured, but in the order they were actually chronologically written by dating, you see a very clear progression of what the concept of the gods and goddesses were and how it evolved mm -hmm. through the history in which they were written. And it changes. Right. It changes from writer to writer. Yeah. Well, because, I mean, this really wasn't... It was... Like I made a comment on your thing and I know, you know, but I just love to tell people because it's one of the things I've learned is that the Bible is not uh, uh, supposed to be this one compact book. It should never have been put together. This is a library of books where there should be other books. Mm -hmm. I mean, think of all the books that have been omitted. This is just a, I keep picking up my phone. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because I'm looking at you, so I feel I have to show you what I'm <laughs> what I'm doing. But it it should never have been put together. So it would it would be better suited if it was like a, 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 some kind of library you walked into and you pulled this book and you read it and you put it back and the, because you wouldn't have this feeling of you have to put it together and you have to make it make sense because mm -hmm. it it was never really supposed to. And I don't think the writers even cared like mm -hmm. the early writers. You can tell there's just some things that don't make sense and. I think they're just okay with it. I mean, look at the book, the book of Chronicles and, and Kings. They tell like so many conflicting stories. Yeah. They, 
it wasn't a big deal. It, and and most of these aren't even written by the same writers. It, it's it's books within oh, it that yeah, are, are multiple writers that they then combine scrolls again. I think Isaiah is one of them where there's like thousand years separation between like the first part and the second right. part because they just took two different scrolls and smashed them together and said it was all written by one person. Right. Yeah. And this <laughs> and this is the stuff like that blows my mind. Like I'd have no idea if I had never looked into it. Mm-hmm. But I'm so thankful that I have because it just gives a different it just tells you how much Christ- Christianity has got wrong, honestly. That's mm-hmm. one big part of it. But another part of it is just again the history the real history behind it why did they do that well, what was happening at the time when they wrote that okay well why did they want to redact the goddess like why would you why would you want to do that okay well you want to remove power why do you want to strip people of their power especially especially their progenitor progenitor goddess right mm-hmm. the one who can help you give birth why would they want to get rid of her power i mean call me a wild person you just come out of Babylon. You're, you're watching temples and stuff getting built to these other gods. They're re- rebuilt. Actually, weren't they um, helping to repair one of the ziggurats? And we have um, inscriptions, like bricks inscriptions about that. So we have, we know that these, these Israelites were exiled to Babylon. They're helping build temple to other god, to other gods. I mean, this probably was very upsetting to people i'm sure and when they finally get to come back you know after their temple's been destroyed something they probably never thought they would see you would never think that a temple that had been standing for so long would be destroyed i mean that just probably broke your heart i can completely get it it breaks my honestly it actually breaks my heart too i hate that shit i wish they would how amazing would that be but so when they come back now they're like okay why did this happen to us so either this is all for control coming from the masters, the Babylonians, you know what I mean? Who knows what they're taught there? Because why would you come back and do that to your people? Or maybe this was shit. We had our asses handed to us. We're doing, we're knocking everything out. But I honestly feel like this was, a lot of this was kind of coming from the powerful because this was the elite who have these documents who are able to, get their hands on and have the ability to read and write and change all this stuff because they did a pretty good damn like god damn if we didn't have some smart people scholars out here reading this shit and figure it out we'd still be we'd still be believing it because a lot of this is still y'all if you're interested you need to get out there and start studying because there's some stuff that's still being discovered we need we need people out there studying this stuff i'm too old for it but (laughs) (laughs) but we can see Again, we can just see why things change when they change. So it's really important to see that history and how it comes into play instead of just doing this whitewashing and make believe that the Christians do. It's not acceptable. Not acceptable. Yeah. Not good scholarship. I so much appreciate having you on here, Ryan. I think that you and I could talk for a long, long while. I, I have so many thoughts about Marduk and his uh, connection with Yahweh and the similarities you see there about the creator goddess right. in ancient Sumerian and Mesopotamian and how that was wiped out and made into a um, masculine deity that was the creator, even though the stories are the same. And I know you know all this and we could go on and on and on, but we're so far beyond time and I've kept you over the time that I promised you. So if you would, let people know where they can find you, how they can connect with you, and hear more about these wonderful stories. 
I, I do a lot of stories on my TikTok, which is tax.the.churches. And I'm trying to start to move most of my things over to my YouTube channel, which is Ryan, R-I-O-N, Cultastic. Because TikTok, I'm just tired of being put on bans and being silenced because people don't like hearing the truth, I suppose. So if that's where they want to um, get to learn more, you can also find me on Twitter. And if you want to send me a message, I probably will see it there. And that is Anat, A-N-A-T, love her, Anat underscore Yahoo, Y-A-H-U. <laughs> <laughs> I had to pick something hard, <laughs> of course. Well, again, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I know you jumped on a short notice, so I appreciate it. Oh, it's been amazing. I love talking about this stuff. This gets me going. I could talk for hours. <laughs> As for all the rest of you, thanks again for hanging out on Gods of Tomorrow. If you're interested in learning more about this information, uh, you can always look at my Patreon, follow my TikTok as well, or get into my Discord, especially if you're looking for a community to help you deconstruct. It's full of awesome people that are there regularly to help walk through your own traumas and give you resources to help you break down some of this information. Otherwise, please get the hell out of here. Go out and live your life. Be the best version of yourself. And as we said earlier, do what the fuck you will. <laughs>